Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Fraud Circle. And today we are joined by fabulous Randy Jandow. A little bit about her is she is originally from East Tennessee, but she's been living in Saudi Arabia for several years now. And she is the one who's just like going through all this entrepreneurial and theoretical changes in Saudi Arabia. Her strength lies in design industry and community architecture. She has mentored in 19 plus countries. I'm sure I'm going to have 19 plus questions on that as well. Uh, and she's <laughs> currently living in Saudi Arabia. So uh, please allow me to welcome Brandy Chandow. Hey, Brandy, how are you doing today? Thank you so much. It is such an honor to be here. I'm excited to get going. Absolutely. So how is Kingdom treating you? Yeah, sure. So yeah, that's quite the, it's quite the story. Sometimes I pinch myself. I'm also wondering how I got here. You never really know your life path or where it's going to lead in life. And that's kind of, I think, something really beautiful about life. You end up on something, a magical journey. I'm very lucky. I'm very blessed to get to go on this journey and to meet everybody that I have. And I'm very, very happy about this. So yeah. Okay. Awesome. Because I think I am usually a big fan of context because I think uh, the stories that we have are allies. They mean something because of the context. So what was the earliest context or memory you have of you, of your life, you know, growing up in Tennessee? Well, I think that I was always very a simple girl. I mean, there was nothing crazy or big. I grew up in a normal family, have two brothers, have all four of my grandparents, you know, were very family oriented in the South. I grew up in a little small mountain area um, in East Tennessee, gardens, farms, horses, playing sports in the summer, running around with my brothers, all of these kinds of things that everybody in, you know, every country does. So, you know, growing up, I had this kind of normal life. But I will say that one thing that I always remember, I always really had an excitement to explore. I was always curious. Um, I couldn't wait to leave home. I couldn't wait to go to university. I couldn't wait to go to my first country. I couldn't wait to meet different religions and different cultures and to, to learn about people. So I think that was something always very significant about me is that I was always curious. I'm still very curious and I still love all of those things. It's never changed. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So th that makes sense. Um, because I think if you talk about curiosity in general and you look at the people who are doing something successful in their life, most of that is because they're curious or they were curious at a certain point. They were like, you know, eager to learn, eager to explore new things. So, yeah, so exactly. obviously, yeah. So I think that obviously plays a pivotal role and build your career and all that. So I want to ask you this thing. Why do you do what you do? And what exactly is that you do? That's a big question. So why do I do what I do? You know, I don't know. I always tell everybody that my grandma, she says some, she said this one little quote. We have lots of quotes in the South. And she said, there's a lid for every pot. I think about this quote probably every day in my life. And I think about this for our careers too. There's a lid for every pot. You know, there has to be the janitors that clean up after us to make sure the pieces fit together. There has to be the teachers. There has to be the chefs. Uh, there has to be the diplomats. There has to be everybody. And these are kind of the ingredients of a recipe that make the recipe. And I think it's like this in life. I think that whenever we're good at something, we're passionate about something, our journey takes us to a specific role. Mine happened to be design. And I really believe that you should use the tools that you're given or what you've learned. And my tool is design. And so I try to use it best way that I can. I try to use it to, to bridge people 
welcome to Bridge Cultures. Design diplomacy, as you know, is something that I go on and on about um, quite often. So I think that's why I do it. I do it because this is just what I happen to be good at. It happened to be what I know. And it happens to be the one thing that I can put into the world. And I try to do my best to put something positive and good into the world with what I know how to do. So I'm just assuming that you studied arts or you studied design. So what did you study? So I went to a private design school in Chicago, Illinois. Um, it was the first time that I ever had left Tennessee. I had never <laughs> been away from home. And what was, was that like? <laughs> oh, it was quite, I remember the first day that I actually got to Chicago, I sat down and I started crying. I was oh so overwhelmed by people, by a city, um, by not being with my family. But this is this was the beginning of building me, building my character and building yeah. me as a human, you know, become more resilient and to learn things and to learn how to handle different situations. It was scary, but it, like I said, it started building me. Okay, okay. Uh, and one question was, because you... You said that you are an entrepreneur and then you're also a mentor and you're in a design industry. What exactly is yeah. that? Like being an entrepreneur, a thought leader in a design industry. So what exactly is that? It's actually, it's actually such a good question. And actually, before you, you send me the review of today's show, I never really thought about that. I never really had thought about how my roles fit together. And as I started thinking about it, I realized how big of a role they each played and um, being a designer, a trained designer, being a design strategist and how it's helped me be an entrepreneur and to be a founder. I realized, you know, I always say design is life and life is design, but the role that design has played in building me as an entrepreneur and a leader it has been so significant down to every detail, even like creating my business plan. Um, I'm much more, you know, ready and have the tools that I need to be an entrepreneur because of design. And they have really played, played it. The biggest role of all in my life has been design. You're working for last 15 years, I think, in Saudi Arabia. I've been Why in Sa Saudi Arabia for 15 years. <laughs> Why Saudi Arabia? You know, usually when you talk about that, about anything, so people would say, okay, let's go to Dubai. Let's go to, you know, any other Middle Eastern country, maybe pretty famous these days. By kingdom? You know, I don't really have the answer to that. I would also ask myself why Saudi Arabia. <laughs> and I, maybe I saw something, you know, my path knew that Saudi Arabia was going to be the bit, next big thing, was going to be the business hub of the world. And younger Brandy didn't know that, but the older yeah. Brandy is sure happy. Yeah. You know, why not? I guess I got lucky. Uh, this was the path that was vision for me. And well, I'm happy about it now. It all worked out in the end. And it's there's no better place in the world to be for a designer than Saudi Arabia. This oh, really? is a designer's playground. <laughs> Giga project, the Giga projects are happening. Everything that's taking place yeah. right now, there, we just have endless amounts of possibilities among us yeah. that we can. I had the opportunity to go to, so I spent, you know, early, early time of my career in the Middle East uh, and recently had the opportunity to go to Jeddah to, you know, to watch the Formula One big fan. Um, oh, nice. I got to see oh, but, it actually here in Riyadh. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that that was amazing. You know, I think I went the first time that happened. I think it was a year before last year. I think I think so. Um, pretty amazing because, you know, usually growing up, you saw all these street circuits in Baku or something in Singapore. Riyadh was pretty amazing. Uh, just thinking on the design perspective, 
And you mentioned something really good, which is, I, I totally believe that, that Saudi Arabia is the next big thing from business standpoint. Uh, everybody has their reason. Yeah, everybody has their reasons, but why do you believe? Like, you know, why do you think that Saudi Arabia is going to it's like it's going to be well, deep it, business. It's, it's not even that I think it. This is the reality. You know, this is the reality. Look at all the giga projects happening. I mean, where else in the world do you have a clean slate, a, a country that's just beginning to build everything from a clean start? The whole world is built and running. We're building from the scratch right now. Together, we're building this ecosystem. We're all getting our hands dirty. We're all part of it. You know, we're not just talking about it. We're in there working next to everybody. And it's quite amazing to, to be able to be part of that, to, to watch the country grow and to thrive. And this generation, it's everybody right now that's doing that. Yeah, yeah I'm sure. And I think a lot of people, you know, when it comes to Middle East, when anybody mentioned Middle East. So the first thought that people used to have was Dubai. Second one probably was Abu Dhabi. And now that thing is changing to Saudi Arabia. Well, yeah, Saudi Arabia is definitely, everybody knows about, I mean, well, you know, people knew about Saudi Arabia before, but now it's definitely the hot topic. You know, of course, the Middle East is huge. There's many amazing countries and cities within it. Saudi, Saudi is quite large. People don't seem to understand how big Saudi Arabia is. It's a big, it's a big country, the biggest one here. And so people don't really think about that. So yeah, we have everything is happening now. And I mean, everybody, there's nobody, even people back home in my town are hearing things about Saudi Arabia. So I'm like, if it's reached them, we're doing well with the PR. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so you, you mentioned back home. So uh, can you just, you know, rewind what was the first time you came to Saudi and how did your family react? Well, I mean, it wasn't, it was quite, I think, unimaginable for anybody to think of me leaving anyway. Forget it being Saudi Arabia. You know, I'm the daughter, I'm the granddaughter, I'm the sister, I'm the friend. Nobody wants that person to to leave home. It was hard enough when I went to university in Chicago. I thought everybody was going to die, you know? So imagine whenever I said, well, I'm leaving America. You know, I'm, and I'm going to the Middle East. Everybody was just shocked. That's not a good idea. We think you should stay here. I was curious, like we spoke about already. I was excited. Um, not for, I didn't double guess it for a moment. I was super excited. I was super excited to, to see something different, uh, to see a new culture, to meet new people. I was very excited. And this was helpful in my journey because I did, I wasn't scared. I'd already lost the fear (laughs) whenever I first left home. So I was always excited and curious. Now I can say that my family, they were scared and they were worried for many years. Normal for any family to do, by the way. But now they're proud of me. They see me doing amazing things like this, talking to you. And they're proud of me. They're proud of me for putting in the work and to working hard, you know, coming here as an expat and standing with people in government, standing next to sometimes I'm the only non-Saudi in a room, having a microphone, getting to talk about the country, getting to be an advocate for Saudi Arabia, for the Saudi design industry, bringing, you know, nice positive PR for the country and for what we're doing here. They're proud of me. And... That makes me happy. happy I'm happy to make anybody proud, you know, not just my family, but even a stranger maybe that's watching this, that's smiling. Like, I'm happy to do this. 
Yeah, I'm sure of that. So I've been following your journey for quite some time. And then I see now something is happening from Spain. It's how you <laughs> come to that in a bit. Because I'm a huge fan of Spanish football. So obviously, that was the reason. You know, when I saw it, it was like, oh, okay. So that real foundation is like something in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> and Brandy is, is like talking to them. You should talk to it. That was the first thing. But anyway, but coming back to... <laughs> yeah. Please go ahead. Yeah, no, I love Spain too, by the way. <laughs> it's my favorite okay, it's country. Amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> we have yeah. a lot of, there's a lot of Spanish companies here in Saudi. Um, it's quite a good benchmark for me. I use it as a benchmark. I know you see what I talk about and write about constantly. Um, what better benchmark to use in design than Spain? I mean, they've been ahead of the game in sustainability and the design and culture before most people were even thinking about it. So yeah, I'm always happy to work with them. And to kind of learn from them so that we can, you know, going in the perfect direction here in Saudi with what we're doing. It's very helpful to kind of have this troll diplomacy, design diplomacy, to look at what worked for other people and what didn't work for other people. Of course, there's no blueprint. Saudi's a complete different country and you have to, you know, go about it in this retrospect. But it's nice to be able to see how other countries do things and to learn from other people. You know, we're yeah. all kind of learning from each other, not just in Saudi, but everywhere. Maybe this designer did something and he teaches us and I'm able to do something uh, with less work and to put more passion into it because of what he taught me. And this is something really beautiful that we can do as humans is kind of help one another and guide each other and make everybody's ride a little bit easier and smoother. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You mentioned, uh, I think a couple of minutes ago, about Giga Project. So you know, yeah. the whole vision 2030, I think. So I was in Dubai when the whole Expo 2020 thing was like booming and every single thing was talking. Everybody go. It's now it's exactly the same thing. In Saudi, it's like, you know, vision 2030 and then all the things that you guys are doing in there. So can you just talk us a little bit about an insider because you've been part of that? Like yeah. what exactly is that? 2030 vision, what exactly is the Giga project? Absolutely. So 2030 vision, I think it was just, it was kind of like a goal. Like here's the 2030 vision and this is what we want to have done by this. Um, but the reality is that we're all so past 2030 vision. Like most of these things have already been done and gone. So we're hearing a lot of people, outsiders, maybe that haven't been in Saudi who haven't had the pleasure of working here and they don't know everything that's happening, talk about 2030. But here in Saudi, we're not really talking about it because, our, you know, it's here and we're already like way up here. So it's kind of like something even in the past, even though yeah, it, it hasn't exact, even came, it, we're yeah, on it rocket was, mode. Exactly, exactly. But it was quite the opposite for <laughs> Dubai. So it was like 2020, 2020 is coming, Expo 2020 is coming. And they're like, yeah, okay, but like, what is what exactly is coming? And they like don't have that much progress to show for. Uh, well, Dubai, let's, well, we're, Dubai has got, it's a city, you know, it's just one yeah. little city in the UAE. Yeah. They did quite amazing. I mean, it was the Gulf Hub. Um, well, it still is one of the Gulf Hubs and they've done many great things. They're a melting pot of culture and they yeah. really, you know, helped us so much in Saudi Arabia and in Riyadh with all of the visions that we have too. So it's been quite a good partner. I think Dubai and Riyadh are quite great partners that yeah absolutely i think that i just want to ask you about uh, the whole startup industry the whole yep. entrepreneurial community in 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 saudi arabia so i've been part of you know fortunate to be part of a lot of startup culture 
its communities in the states, not in the not in Saudi. So, so yeah, what exactly is that community looks like in in Saudi? How the support system actually works there? Well, I have to say that that I saw like I went to Bahrain. Bahrain ha- Bahrain is very small, as you know, it's tiny. Yeah, home yeah. island. They have a huge startup scene. They're doing startup Bahrain, and they're doing a lot of things. But so even though they're they're pretty small, one of the things that I love about Bahrain is they're like massive. Like they're gigantic, you know, when it comes to startup and stuff like that. They're like pretty. Yes, pretty this, yeah. you're right. But there's also something with every positive thing that you think about. There's like something also that you have to think. about. They're amazing. They're doing big things. I love all of my Bahraini creatives and I have many friends there. The country yeah. and the government are doing great things for startups and for the creative sector. But being a small country full yeah. of talented people, the competition is quite, uh, quite fierce. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it just kind of up, upgrades everybody, I think, a little bit to know that for South Startup, the startup world is very new. Um, it's new for it. Like I said, everything is being built, but we have so many talented people. Like the hills and the thoughts are just amazing. I'm always just, and I'm just amazed by everything that's happening around me. I love it. You know, I haven't really met. I've met some people that are more like venture capitalists and people that are, you know, funding startups. I've met them a little more than founders themselves, and I've. I haven't met another woman that's a startup founder. I haven't had the pleasure of. I hope that I do. I'll be going actually. Actually, I don't know if you've ever heard of Seamless. So Seamless is a big initiative. They have one in Dubai and they have one in Saudi. So I'm wow. going to have the pleasure to go and to take my startup and be part of Seamless Dubai. And then at the one in Saudi, I'm going to be speaking here. So um, right. I'm really excited to kind of to meet more of the people in the, the startup industry too, the startup field itself. <laughs> Uh, yeah, absolutely. So two questions on, on, on that. So I think you said like you haven't had the pleasure of meeting another female founder. Yeah. Here. I, yeah. Here in, in Saudi. Yeah. Yeah. Here that, in Saudi. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that's going to change? I'm sure that, the, listen, I'm, I know that they're out there. Yeah. There's, you won't believe that the business and the entrepreneurs here, it's insane. There's probably hundreds of them out there. I'm certain of this. And the women here are quite, have the entrepreneur spirit. I just, like I said, I haven't had the pleasure of meeting them. I know they're there. I know they're yeah. there. And yeah. I can't wait to meet them all. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure of that. And now that, you know, they're going through all these pivotal changes and, you know, women are coming to, screen or media, I think it's just going to change definitely. In in my understanding, one of the things that I have observed is the business in Saudi Arabia or in all these, you know, Middle Eastern countries, so strong, that's like a traditional business. How do you think the investment is, is happening in in Saudi Arabia, especially in terms of startups? It's good. I think it's that good? it's very okay. good that they see that they see the potential of the startups. The government is heavily investing in startups. They see the value that the s- startups and small businesses have on the economy. And I think it's very good. I think that it's probably maybe one of the best in the world right now in Saudi Arabia. It's wow. a great time. It's a great time to be an entrepreneur in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Okay. Why do you think so? Everybody else has competition. We're all here next to one another doing it together. No one else is going to get the opportunities that we have. Like the one, like all of, we're the pioneers right now. <laughs> yeah. What opportunities, you know, when you talk about opportunities, and I'm sure, you know, they, they have a massive role. Like somebody who was in, and we're just going to talk about AI for a moment. Because 
in today's world, like you, you can't have a conversation without talking about AI. So, so just for the sake of that. So I'm I an think, AI pro, so. <laughs> oh my, okay, okay. That's amazing. I haven't, I, I have yet to meet anybody who is an entrepreneur and who is like, I'm not rooting for AI. Like I've yet to meet anybody. But the thing that I wanted to ask you about AI is anybody, a lot of people are like, you know, doing AI stuff now. And most of these going to go become a unicorn in, in like very, very near future. And then comes, you know, the masses, like everybody's adapting to it. But, you know, a few of them going to succeed, but not everybody. So what type of startups or what type of, you know, industry do you think is booming in Saudi? Or is it like every, everything? I mean, I think I'll, I was just having a conversation actually with somebody here at the United Nations. And they were speaking about AI and they were talking, they were saying they're a little iffy about it and all of these things. But I, I said that, you know, we're kind of, we're in that place. I think all of us, humanity right now, we're a bridge. Everything's happened in our lifetime. <laughs> Everything seems to have happened in our lifetime. We're the bridge. We're the bridge. I swear. That's <laughs> been you done. Exactly. Exactly. But also, I, people seem to forget about, a, people seem to forget easy. When we think about, let's think about the women in um, that used to be ty- typist. Like they went to typist schools because this is at that stage, there wasn't a lot of work that was deemed good enough for women at the time. But typist was a job that they had. They would go to school to learn how to type us. Do we have typists now? Do we even have typewriters in our offices? Absolutely not. Because yeah. it's completely normal for jobs and for roles to evolve. If we are not evolving as humans with our jobs, and it's completely normal for it to evolve. But people just, you know, want to pinpoint on AI. AI has so many great benefits that it can do. And we're not going to lose jobs. We're going to get jobs. We're going to have new jobs. We're going to have new job titles. We're going to have yeah, new absolutely. industries. Yeah. Thing. So I was like going to that. I was listening to yesterday. I forgot the name of the person. And he was talking about AI and like what exactly is going to happen. And he was like, uh, his son is going to a law school learning how to become a lawyer and this and that. And he was like, I talked to my son. I was like, dude, don't do that. So the first thing that's going to replace by AI is, is all the legals because now, or like in, in a very stable future, this is going to be a bot. It's going to have so much knowledge about what happened in the past, what's happening in this argument and that argument that humanly not possible to compete because the, the knowledge base is endless, right? So, but he was at the same time, he was talking, he, he was like, I don't mind, I want to undermine, you know, lawyers and anything like that. You know, your job is going to involve, you yeah. You either need to be on, on the right side of the thing or you either need to be on the left side of the thing. So either you can say, oh yeah, embrace the technology. It's going to happen. Might as well, you know, train myself for it. And uh, yeah, let's just continue with that. And you kind of become superhuman because AI kind of makes you super, superhuman, right? Absolutely. Uh, so, so you said one key word when you were just talking, you said compete. And I think yeah. this is uh, this word. I hate this word. And I use people use it a lot in entrepreneurship, in the startup world, in the design industry with AI. Yeah. We don't, I think it's, we need to really delete this word from our dictionary. It, the, really? There's enough, there's enough of everything to go around for us. There's, the world is huge. And we all, my brain functions different than your brain. Um, yeah. you're going to do more than I can in some things and some things I'm going to do more. So we don't, compete but one thing that we should be doing we should be collaborating we should be supporting 
Um, we don't have to compete with anything. AI is not competing with us. AI is, we made AI. Humans yeah. made AI. It can't function without us. We, it needs inputs from us to even, to even get an output. So today, I mean, <laughs> to, not today, in future. <laughs> yeah. Well, but these things, um, even like, uh, we were speaking about the ethics, about what about the ethics of us? Then we don't teach AI ethics. The ethics is on us as humans. I can do, I can say something horrible to you right now. This is my personal, I can do it. It doesn't matter about AI. I can be an unethical human and yeah. say unethical things to you. I can go on the streets and do unethical things, but my ethics are how I was raised. This is up to my parents, to our family, to our community to teach us these ethics. It doesn't, have something special for AI. Uh, ethics are should be part of us as humans from the beginning. Have you seen any of the you know progress in, made by AI in design industry? Because I've seen a few of them that's mostly linked to uh, digital products or like you know the whole SaaS community. Well, I've seen AI a lot of the thing linked for everything. I mean, like I told you, as we're all the bridge right now. <laughs> we're all the, we're all going through the bridge so we get to see the good and the bad and you know i haven't seen i don't i can't make a you know a response about it now because we're all just kind of watching and seeing what happens but i will say that it's made a lot of amazing jobs for there's ai designers now there ha, it's opened up a lot of jobs in yeah. ai there there's many things that it's opening but i'm still at the phase that all of you are we're just sitting back and watching and seeing what happens <laughs> yeah so uh, speaking of ai speaking of design yeah and you know you've been in that industry for like more than a decade now how do you my think... whole life my whole life i've been a designer <laughs> amazing yeah okay so the, so the question becomes for it out how do you think that design has evolved you know, throughout your life. And now that the AI is shifting and like, I was surprised to see this, this app, I you know, when I should say the name or something. So what you do is uh, you can take pictures of your office studio. I can, I can do that. And, um, and you're like, okay, generate me a design or something. Bang. 10 seconds later, I can now have an amazing looking design and I can select like what type of, what type of story do I want to have? So how do you think, you know, the design industry has changed from your earlier context to today and how you think it's going to change in the future? Well, I will say it's normal with tech advancements that design will change. I mean, it's changed always. In the beginning, it was all about being functional. It was about looking beautiful. It's not like that so much more. It's now changed over to being life-centric. And I like to use the word life-centric and human-centric because I think instead of just thinking about people, we have to think of all of our surroundings. I think this is our duty as designers. Design thinking, life-centric design methodologies, they made it more inclusive too. No, what no, is no life-centric design thinking? So life-centric design, again, like most designers, they'll hear me and they understand what human-centric. They always say, you should be a human-centric designer. You should design for humans. So think about being an inclusive designer. A lot of people don't think about this. Oh, these little things are designed. Um, think about a wheelchair. Um, somebody who sits in a wheelchair, um, they need to put their feet somewhere. They need to have, it needs to roll easy. All of these things are created, but, but by a designer. Now they call these things human centric because designs are human centric. They're made for humans. I've stopped using the word human-centric and I've started saying life-centric because I think that we should design for our surroundings. 
We should design for people. We should design for everything, a bathroom for handicap, a ramp to go up on a stage, being inclusive in everything that we do. I was on a panel with the Ministry of Culture here in Saudi Arabia. The panel was in Arabic. I had a headphone set on and I could hear everything in English. It was, you know, a designer made, this is what I'm talking about, life-centric. Every little element has not been untouched. This is important. And it's evolved over the time because, like I said, design used to be all about maybe having a beautiful chair in your library or your study. But then someone was like, well, why can't I have a beautiful chair that feels comfortable? And over time, you know, implementing the thoughts, we realized that design is no longer about looking beautiful. Design is about people. It's about life. As someone uh, who has global perspective of the design industry, what trends do you see emerging in the coming years and uh, how the designers today can stay ahead of the So um, sustainability, inclusive design, like we just spoke about, artificial intelligence, VR and AR, emotional design, and designing for the circular economy. These are just a few. There's so much more, but these are the trends that designers of all disciplines really need to focus on and to, to start practicing a little more. You know, to stay ahead of the curve, designers, we have to continuously learn. And how do we continuously learn? We go to conferences, we go to talks, we watch podcasts like this, and we study. I constantly study. You don't believe how much of my time that I have to put into keeping upgrading my knowledge and upgrading my skills. I have to go on Twitter and see everything that's happening in the Saudi design industry, everything that's happening in the global design industry. Um, I go to take get certified in different things. Um, I'm learning a lot about AI as well. These are things that this is how you stay ahead of the curve and you keep up to date with the trends that are happening and the new disciplines that are be- being created because of the amazing technology that is coming our ways. You mentioned, you know, learning through Twitter. What do you think about Twitter? Usually people think about it as a platform for news or for something like that. But a lot of people have a different opinion of Twitter. So what do you think about that? Twitter is one of my biggest knowledge bases. I love Twitter. Now, it's not going to be for everybody. And you have to think that we all have different learning styles. People are visuals. Some people, you know, have to hear it audio. Some people are hands-on. We all have different learning styles. And I think one of the most important things that you can do in life is to understand your learning style and what works for you and go out there and find knowledge kind of based on this. For me, Twitter's fantastic. I don't comment. <laughs> I don't like anything. I, I just take it. It can get very dangerous. <laughs> um, yeah. So I one, just, one um, bad comment and you're just like, you know, there's like exactly. you there's don't a sea of people out there and then, you know, they're, they're just going to ruin your whole day. So it's just like, exactly. Yeah. And especially now with everything, everybody's watching everything. It's better just to keep out of that mess. But yeah, it's great for learning. I mean, how amazing is it that we're in a time in life where there is constant like journalism and news happening like live? Yeah. I'm able to find out something live that's happening in the design industry. I'm able to instantly know something that's important for me and to take in that knowledge. Now, with the good, there's also the bad. We're living in an oversaturated society. We have so much information coming in that sometimes it's hard for us to actually soak it in and to obtain it. Even with learning, sometimes I'm learning so much 
like almost robotic. And I'm thinking like, Brandy, you need to sit down and think about what you're learning and let it soak in. And actually, so that you can make a difference or that it can, you can understand uh, this yeah. is the downside of all the knowledge is that yeah, it's just everything's so oversaturated right now. And then, then you, you, you look at the internet and it's like everybody is an influencer. Everybody has an opinion on everything. Everybody's <laughs> selling a course. Everybody's an expert on every single thing. And Absolutely. nowadays it's just like, now it's just like, you know, you open a Twitter and it's like, Hey, I created this thing for chat GPT. Why don't you just go and use that? And you scroll <laughs> a little bit and then there's another one and then there's another. I mean, like, no, I will say crazy. that as somebody who loves AI, I'm sick of reading about chat GPT. <laughs> I know. <laughs> finally, <laughs> yeah, finally somebody said that, you know, I think so. So they're just like, I think so. So you know, if, if somebody asks me, like, what do you think about that? Uh, I think there's like three types of people. Type one is who are just going crazy with all the tools that they're creating, you know, creative people, opportunists, amazing, talented mind. And they're like, you know, they saw an opportunity, they saw something, they'd be like, okay, bang, I'm going to grind work or something like that, I'm going to just do it. Type two, I think, is uh, is people who are like normal people. It's like, yeah, okay, chat is open and silently without making a noise, doing a whole lot of work. Yeah, using it, like just reading, okay, so you can use it as an agent, auto agent, okay, let's implement that. And making their life, you know, faster and better and more productive. And type three is where like people are uh, just freaking about, just freaking out. They're like, oh, take my job just to take my job so, so you know we're going to be annihilated and this and that pointed it out pretty well <laughs> yeah yeah so so I think there's like three tiers and then so I feel like there, there has to be discord for all three types of people but anyway basically you know all three types of people there are 90% 99% of the people they just like can't stop talking about the same thing it's just like it's just like so yeah you know, I really think about this in a, I can't stand to read about chat GPT anymore, but yeah. I think that it's like you said, Why is that so? about the opportunities. I think that people, they see something like, oh, this is a hot topic. If I create content about this, then I'm going to get like all the light. They're putting stuff out into the world anymore. And, you know, I teach a lot of workshops and I talk a lot about personal brand equity and that's about you as a person, your brand and what you put into the world. And I always tell everybody that it's really important to be organic and to be natural. And people ask me, well, you are on LinkedIn. People know you from LinkedIn and this and that. And how do you come up with the content and your schedule? I don't have a schedule. I don't create my content ahead of time. I get an ideal in my head. I'm creative and they never stop these thoughts. And I write it. And that's the end of the story. I write something natural and real. I don't try to write anything because I think, oh, if I write about ChatGPT, it's going to be popular and I'm going to get 2,000 likes. My mind does not work like this, but I think this is what we're seeing. A lot of people are just kind of that they want the likes and they want to be popular. Yeah, this is a very controversial opinion. (laughs) That's a very controversial opinion. because It's another topic. Yeah, so far as my little research go, this whole content creation thing and the whole, you know, figuring out what to type, not to type, all of that stuff. Is a huge industry, especially if you look at all the tools that are coming out. It's like, you know, everybody's just like giving you a content calendar, post this thing. Now it's not a good time. But I've seen you posting like 1 a.m. in the night. I do what I want. in the morning. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is like, I was like, man, okay. So like, there's no. I <laughs> this is, yeah. I just like to be me. 
I can't be anybody else. I'm not yeah. a robot. I don't want to stick to a time, 6 p.m., 3 p.m., whatever. If I want to talk about something, it's real, it's natural, it's organic. I talk about it. I don't care what time it is. You know, if I want to post whatever, I do it. I, that's Randy. And I hope that's why people enjoy talking to me or being around yeah. me is because I'm natural and real. I really think that we should be real people. There's too many robots out there right now. I say I would just want to you know mention one thing on robot. So uh, this app again, just don't want to name name them here. Uh, they just came out with this uh, with this plugin on LinkedIn. It's just like every single time you click, it's like the tone of the message, like friendly. I just want to be like super crazy. You just want to be a, a jerk or something like that. And you, you can select the tone, and then you can hit comment. And you know somebody who has like thought about who has a thought and then you know just craft a decent post of like five hundred words or something. And then, you know, this bot is just going to reply according to whatever the person wants. And they then- can do it. To listen to me, this is the thing about AI and ethics and things like you can do it all day long. But at the- I'm getting messages from people, you know, on LinkedIn constantly. Do I yeah. reply back to all of them? No. no. If yeah. I feel like somebody is talking to me robotic like this, actually, I find it rude. I find it insulting. I find it a waste of my time. When you message me, you message me on LinkedIn. You were nice. You were kind. I replied back immediately. Yeah. You know, you're not going to get what you're looking for. You're not going to reap any fruit from being yeah. robotic and rude. People, we're not stupid. You know, we're all smart. We like humans. We like friendly people. If I'm, you know, I get people asking me for things. Somebody yeah. told me, I got a message from somebody telling me, like, I want you to tell me how to build a startup. This was the sentence. <laughs> okay. What? You should have said Google it. We don't talk to each other like this. It um, you know said- what I, and this is the thing with AI. It's not going to talk like us. We talk robotic to one another, even strangers. This we speak to one another. It's definitely not your introduction. You know, they've always said you're, you have one time to meet somebody. It's the most important. It's true. Oh, somebody comes and speaks to me. It sets the tone for how I view them forever. Yeah. You get a rude robotic message. I don't reply any longer because I was like, I can't believe that this is how they spoke to me in the beginning. They can do it all day long, but I don't think that they're going to reap anything beneficial. Yeah. On the personal brand, and you mentioned something, I think a few minutes ago, you said personal brand equity. Mm-hmm. And you, you mentor people. I think you talk to people about that. So, so what exactly is that? So, well, they're two different things, but they're kind of the same. So I started mentoring early on designers and I've been mentoring designers like 19 countries and counting. I'm very proud of that. Um, Why am I proud of that? Mainly, I'm proud because one thing when a mentee chooses a mentor, for me, this is it. It's an honor that they chose out of everybody you were chosen. Um, This is the first thing. But whenever they're choosing me, they see me I think that they look at me and they say, Brandy, she's an American that's living overseas. Um, she has, she's empathetic to different people in different countries and they feel like they can trust me as somebody that's different from me. Somebody maybe that has no language barrier or something like this. Um, and they're comfortable with me. And I, I recognize that. So I'm very honored that they, they continue to choose me and that they continue to feel comfortable with me as somebody that's different from them. So that's really important for me. And when it comes to personal brand equity, I mean, I'm my own case study. Um, You know, I wasn't always doing things like this. I just started maybe putting the work to do, to do interviews, to be on stages, to do all of these things. My personal brand equity journey, I started maybe 
it's not even been two years. It's been one and a half years. Um, 2022, January 2022. It was the first time that I got up on a stage with a microphone. Um, it was at the Saudi Design Festival. I was so nervous after I got off the stage. I went and threw up in the bathroom. I was shaking. I look at the videos and it's just like, you know, I laugh. I'm much different now. I've gained confidence. Yeah. Um, I've learned how to talk and speak, be more diplomatic with my words, dress in a different way that is maybe better for the audience or the camera, yeah. makeup. I've designed it, designed every little thing I've learned. But my journey has all been because of personal brand equity. And I think that I really got the confidence from mentoring, from speaking to people. You know, I've always said that whenever I started the mentoring thing, it wasn't because that I thought I had something great to offer. It was because I wanted to put it on my resume. You know, I'm not going to lie. That's how I started. I didn't expect anything else. I was just like, oh, I want to snazz up my resume. I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the people and I really started wanting to help them and to, you know, they, they don't take so long. I'm a late blossomer. I was very shy before and I'm confident now because of this. And I really think that all of my journey has been because of mentoring and being able to talk to people and help them and to grow them. And that's all gave me the confidence to speak and to, to share my story and to help people. So you kind of used uh, mentoring to your advantage uh, and kind of gained the confidence that way. Well, mentoring mentored me. Being a mentor for myself in the most positive ways. How many people have you mentored? Oh, I don't know. A, wow. a lot. <laughs> Dozens, okay. maybe close to 100 and all different walks of life. I've mentored pe- people that are older than me. And people always say this, like they think there's a hierarchy for age, like kind of like your career level. And people see something in you. Some people, I think that what they see in me a lot of times, other than feeling like comfortable because I'm a global citizen, is they see that I'm doing things like this and they want to learn how to get the confidence to do it too. I have people in the corporate world that are heads, CEOs that come to me. They're great at business. They're great in the corporate world. They're great at getting strategy and getting the work done, but maybe they're not great at public speaking or maybe they don't have the confidence. It's not easy to talk to people, easy to get on a stage because you have to captivate the audience. You have a couple minutes. If you lose your audience, you're wasting your time and everybody else's. They need to feel like you're enjoying your time, that you're saying the proper words. There is a lot to it. There is a lot to it. And it's not easy to learn and to grow, but it's definitely worth it. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, just record a very funny memory here when you said it's not easy to talk to people. So I'm just going to give you a highlight of that. So uh, I've been in product world for quite some time, like for quite some time. And then a couple of years ago, I was working as, you know, working as a startup founder or like whatever, and then you have to do sales. First time I ever heard the word, you have to do B2B sales. No idea what B2B means. B2B sales actually look like. And then you, I, had, I had a pleasure of, you know, talking to somebody who was the head of sales at the sales company and that like, he was doing amazing. Uh, just, just, you know, kept looking at him, how he's talking and stuff like that. So, and then he was like so comfortable, so fluid. I was like, man, this can't be that difficult. So he went into a sales call. <laughs> um, it was with a, 
huge, like global billion dollar uh, 3PL because we're like we're working in startup, uh, supply chain startup. Uh, so just talk to them. And they have like a panel, like, you know, all the C-levels are sitting there on the call, but that was on the Zoom, but, you know, all the C-levels are there that are IT, you know, CTOs and you, you name it, all the other hard chart. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, the lights, the mics, the, all the things that are like on me. Hey, you're in the spotlight. Just talk. I froze. Literally froze. Uh, and then I was like shaking like this. And then I was sitting like in my own, in my own office. Got off the call and I was like, man, that was horrible. Horrible. So so that was one the worst one. And then there was another one. And then there was, so I, I think it, it took me five months, something like that. And I was like, okay. So, so I think it's not about you know, pushing things to people. It's just about understanding their needs, then helping them, coming up with the solution, helping them. All of a sudden, it's like easy. Okay, so that's okay. So I kind of become that semi-introvert product manager to a very good in, in B2B sales. And one thing led to another, and then I was like, okay, yeah, so so talking to people is fun. And then... Uh, Gain confidence. Yeah, yeah, exactly like that. So um, exactly. And then I was like, so, so let's, let's start a podcast. I mean, it's just like, you know, meeting new people. Yeah, you've done it. You've been yeah. case study too. Yeah. Amazing. This is what people always ask me. They'll be like, how do you stop? I did a talk actually with the Saudi buddy. They asked me to come and they asked me to do a talk public speaking. And they were like, well, how? They had so many questions. Amazing. Future future leaders of this country. I just, they were all amazing. This group is. And they were like, well, when do you stop being nervous? And I'm like, are you kidding? I was like, I'm nervous every time. I've never not been nervous. Yeah. I was nervous before this. But you yeah. just get a little less nervous every time. Lame. I told them, I was like, when you, if you ever stop completely getting nervous, you have to worry about yourself because you're too confident. And when yeah. you start getting too confident, that's not good. Don't. Confidence is good. And I'm not saying it in a, like a cocky way. Confidence in, hey, I know my um, what we're talking about. I know the topic at hand. I'm, we're talking about things that I know about. If you brought me in here and you started talking out loud about finance and banking, I would be like, I wouldn't be comfortable. It's good to it's good to be nervous. You don't stop being ner- nervous, but you just like and every time is a little bit better. <laughs> yeah, and I think um, even if you have done it like like a thousand times, a thousand one time is going to be like it's going to be same in many ways. Yeah. Like you, you still have that jittery feelings. You still have that nervousness you still have that some are good so, yeah. some are good some are better yeah. than others let's put it that way. you're the interviewer so there's yeah. an art you're very good at it and the questions that you asked me were fantastic i've been on interviews before and it was yeah. clear that they didn't read anything about me or they yeah. didn't know what they were talking about and now that one gets uncomfortable because then you have to go from being the interviewee to all taking over the interview <laughs> I and swear, there's an yeah. art to it because you don't want to look, talk about yourself too much or you don't play, you know? So there's an art to being some, to interviewing people. That's a whole nother, that's a whole nother thing. I yeah. like to interview people and I like to facilitate probably more than I like to talk. But yeah, everyone is different. And it, like you, like I said, there's an art to it, to asking the questions and also answering the questions. It's not easy. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I want to, you know, pivot a little bit sure. from mentoring to providing uh, all these consultation services to other businesses. Um, so this thing called design auditing. I don't know. I think design auditing. Uh, yeah. So how can businesses ensure that the design efforts align with their overall strategy and the goal? And what exactly is design auditing? Well, 
let you know that design auditing is another term that I made up. You all are learning that most of the things that I talk about are, I've always yeah. really believed in just, I've never believed being a follower. I've never believed in doing the templates and just doing things that people have done. I've always believed in creating things that work for me and creating. Hey, why is that so? I feel like, why? What's the, if we are doing the same things as everybody else, what's the point? Why a lot of people say I don't care? invent the, yeah, a lot of people say don't invent the wheel. I mean, if some, something is working for like I, I, amazing years, I don't agree. Do that. Yeah. I don't agree. I don't agree. Why will somebody come to me if somebody else is doing it? People are going to come to me for my business and they're going to want to talk to me and they're going to want to interview me. And they're going to want to learn from me and, you know, ask me to be their mentor because I'm giving them something different. I'm Brandy and I need to come up with Brandy things. I don't need to come up with something that, you know, maybe you you've created or done. I'm not saying everything has to be invented, reinvented. Uh, there's yeah. many, like you said, many things are there, like a cheeseburger, for example. Cheeseburgers are fantastic. We don't need to change them. <laughs> no. But there's things when it comes to entrepreneurship that need to be changed to, to, you know, I need to do them my way. This is my business. I need to do my business my way. And that's be very important for me. So design auditing, what is yeah. that? I used to always think about auditing. I used to do this thing when I was a younger designer. I've always been really good at basically going through things and telling people what I don't like. Let's think about a website, an office. I don't like that picture there. I don't like that plant there. The font should be bigger. No, you need to move the picture here. You need to do this. Just going around basically auditing. And so I started calling it design auditing because I go through and I tell people what needs to change and how they need to change it. So this is where design auditing came from because I used to think of an audit like, like, like from a financial perspective, um, you know, an accountant, an auditor. And I thought, well, I'm doing design. So this is what design auditing is to me. It's just uh, helping you upgrade a little bit. I'm it's not as scary as the accountant, the accountant auditor. What about design on, and from a business perspective, design auditing, and we were talking about the role designers play in entrepreneurship and how fantastic, actually, when I thought about it, it was. Even like building a business plan. I'm writing my business plan with my hands. I'm doing every single thing from the startup, me, with my hands. I'm not getting help from any, well, I'm getting help from my mentors. Hey, does this sound good? Just reviewing my text and everything like this. But all of the thoughts and everything are coming from, from me. Um, the terms, um, the services even. And my friend asked me, well, why did you decide these services are different from other advisory board? I was like, fantastic. You answered your own question. You answered your own question. I want them to be different because this is what I'm good at. Um, this is what I know that I can provide. And this is the yeah. value that I, I can have in the creative sector. And being a design, these design auditors and being a designer, when you're creating your business plan, I can't tell you how thankful I am for having a design background and starting an, being an entrepreneur. Like it immensely helped me and made my job so much easier from A to Z. You have a very creative side and you have translated that creative side into your business. Every single thing that I'm going to do is going to be different. It's not yeah. like, you know, whatever somebody is doing, it's not going to do and copy paste exactly the same thing, but I'm going to do things different. Absolutely. So, uh, right. I've always said that, you know, as I am a design strategist, I yeah. am in the business of design. People ask me, are you a web designer? Are you a website designer? Are you a fashion designer? I'm like, I'm in the business of design. And everybody's like, 
I don't get it. What is that? I'm like, well, think of like, like a business consultant, but only for the design industry. This is a great way to say it. He's had the special talent. I've had one foot in the door in the business world. I have one foot in the door of the creative world. So I can talk to you design terminology, but I can also talk to you about business terminology. I think this is the greatest strength. And this is what I try to teach creatives. Actually, I always teach them there's a lot of value in understanding business if you want to be a creative, if you want to be successful, because you can be creative, you can make designs all day long, be a fashion designer all day long. What are you going to do when it's time to to sell your products, to do contracts, uh, to talk to stakeholders? They want what you do. You need to know these things. Do you think anybody can be a designer? I used to think about like if you're, I'd be like, oh, if your mom's making beautiful food, And she puts the decorations on the top and this is a designer to me. Well, I still do believe that as I've gotten older and I've seen how life realistically works, think of an architect or an engineer, um, their job to make sure that people are safe, to make sure that buildings don't fall and that they're functional. Can anybody be a designer? Probably not. Can anybody be a doctor? Probably not. This is something, if you want to be, you can. You need to train, though, and you need to learn. You need to be a trained designer to be able to implement the correct things. That's important. If you want to, yes. But I don't suggest just going out there and to do things without the proper methods. <laughs> uh, a similar question on the other side of the business. Do you think everybody can be an entrepreneur as well? No. I don't think everybody can be an entrepreneur. That um, why, why do you think so? It's a tough. It's a tough build. You have to be. You have to be tough, and not everything you hear is nice. A lot of things. I've not had too many setbacks, but sometimes uh, that's the reality. You have to have a thick skin. You have to understand what's happening. You have to understand that maybe what you initially thought. You have to be willing to grow. Maybe the way that I was thinking before. Somebody tells me, well, this is stupid, or you can't do this, blah, 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 or it's not smart. You have to re-evaluate everything, and you have to restart over and over. You get kicked down constantly. You have to be able to get back up and to redo it again. So for everybody, but again, there's a lid for every pot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's coming full circle now. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think so. I think the same way is just like, A lot of people think that, you know, uh, because entrepreneurship is kind of cool these days. It's like everybody yeah. maybe putting a founder in your resume is pretty cool these days as well. But I think that the cost of that freedom is well. It's a constant grind. You know, I've met people. I've met people back home, for example, and he was like, you know what? I met this man and he told me, he's like, I like getting up in the morning. I like going to work, getting off at five, coming home and having dinner with my family, playing with my kids at night, reading them a story and going to bed and doing it again. He's like, that's enough for me. I'm happy. We all have different roles to play in life and it wouldn't be fun if we were all the same. We don't all have to be the entrepreneurs. We don't all have to be the founders. Some of us need to be the ones working. And I think that's not everybody's goal. It shouldn't be everybody's goal. Yeah. How much you're working these days, like, you know, in terms of hours? I work a lot. I'm a workaholic, but, and that's another thing. If you're an entrepreneur, you have to be a workaholic. Um, yeah. I can't count on anybody else to do it but me. I'm the face of the company. People are wanting to meet me and people are wanting to talk to me. Um, I have to build the foundation of my business. It's up to me to build that foundation. I can't count on anybody else to build it. 
because if somebody else builds it, it's not going to be my business. It's going to be their business. So you put in a lot of work. It's a lot of late nights. It's a lot of red eyes. It's a lot of meetings that may not go anywhere. It's a lot of wasted time sometimes. But if you have a drive and you believe in the vision that you have, it will absolutely, I think, flourish in the end. Yeah, I'm sure of that. In your opinion, what quality or traits somebody needs to have in order to be a good entrepreneur? Like absolute think, necessity. Do you well, think? it's very different. I would say that it's really different for everybody. You can't have like one thing. Like I, number one thing that I would want to have to say is that you have to be good with people. But then there's many, there's, I mean, there's top people in the world that are not people. Yeah, people. I know. Um, I know. They're probably going on the sociopaths. Yeah. <laughs> we all know that the most sociopaths, I mean, it, it's search. Most sociopaths are CEOs and things like this. So we can't say that you have to be a people person. For me, in my, what I'm doing in my role, being a people person is essential because it's a startup and it's a small group. And being a woman, it's very important for me to be able to be social. I want people to think of my business. Oh, I want to work with creatives. I want to work with Brandy because she's nice and because I feel like I'm, I'm going to get something good in the end or she's easy to work with. For me, this is these are my ethics and my business ethics. Somebody else won't care yeah. about people. Yeah. That's again, it's okay. I don't think there there is one. I think the drive is yeah. important. Without drive and passion, none of us can go anywhere. So that's yeah. probably what I would say, drive and passion. You have to have the drive and passion to succeed. That question on that. So uh, being a female founder and a yeah. people person, do you think it is hard to take tough decisions, like laying people off, cutting certain people off, making, no. yeah, do you think it's no. hard? I'll say it straight off. No, okay. it was before. I'm at this stage now in How my life. How did you change? Because you, you have to grow up. You have to evolve. We're talking about jobs evolving. You have to evolve as people. You have to realize that it's very true. You know, our parents always tell this, you are who you hang out with. Absolutely, Absolutely. true. It's, they were right about most everything. It does matter if people are not making you feel good, if they're yeah. not your cheerleader, if they're not making you feel confident and positive about anything in your life, that your business or your personal things, they have to go. Um, yeah. Cutting out the people like this. Um, has been immense for my growth and having those people that, that say your name in meetings, that pass your name on to people that they think would be connections. You, you have to have that, those, that surroundings and those people. And I would say that, you know, you just have to get rid of anything that's negative. You've got to weed the garden. You're not going to grow. And in the end, you are who matters in your story. No yeah. one's going to write your story. Absolutely. If somebody to start today, and uh, with similar profile as yours coming up from state gets to Saudi Arabia and starts yeah. his or her journey in design. What advice do you have? I have to say, just be natural and be real. I mean, the Saudi market, since you said Saudi Arabia, the Saudi market is different from all the other markets. It's a big market, very. And this is what I do actually in my advisory is I teach people how to, to approach the market. How is that different? 
the people are different. Every culture is different. I mean, you're not going to be successful if you approach a country. You know, Saudi is a very different place. It's more about people. It's more about the vibes. It's more, do I like them? Are they nice? If I'm, if I go into a meeting with Saudis and I'm rude, done. It's over. They're never, it's never going to happen. And it's also a word of mouth community. So everybody else is going to know too. So the way I carry oh. off the way I speak, and sometimes maybe I'm going to go to 15 meetings with them for them to get comfortable and like me before I'm going to get the job. Um, it's part of it. But I would say that, yeah, just basically you really need to study the Saudi market and Saudi culture awareness is very important. Have you ever had a setback because of lack of understanding the Saudi market that eventually, you know, taught you a lesson like, okay, I need to study this well. Well, luckily, yeah. since I've been here for 15 years, yeah. crash worse in Saudi culture <laughs> awareness. So thankfully, no, I haven't had a setback, but not everybody has the kind of crash course that I have. In what way do you think Saudi's businessmen, you know, entrepreneurial community, because that's where you spend the most of your time, in what ways do you think Saudis are better than people in the States in terms of business or worse uh, from the people in the States here? Okay, great. I'm glad you asked this question, actually. So I'm not going to say better than. Okay. We don't, we're not going to use these words. But I will say is that Saudi is a very special community. And I say this all the time. You all have heard me say this in many interviews. Very collaborative and supportive. Um, there's always people willing to help out that don't really ask for anything in return. Hey, can you do this? Can you come to this panel? Um, can you come and support me in my show? They're there. I think, I don't know what it is. It's a special, collaborative, supportive community that we have. And I think this is what sets Saudi Arabia off from any country. So, Brandy, it's great to have you. Lovely talking to you. We have a very small ritual about our podcast. And what we do is we ask, I guess, a question uh, for our next guest without knowing who the next guest is going to be. And then we're going to ask him the same question so you can answer that. So we asked the previous guest. We have a very good question for you. Okay. So the question that the last guest left for you was, what was the defining moment in your life that made you realize that being a founder is your destiny or being an entrepreneur is your destiny? I think that that's a great question. Thank you, last guest. I think that it's really, you know, not just one little moment, but I think it's all these little moments when the stars align. And somebody told me before, they were like, Brandy, you're never going to be happy being a follower. You will always need to have your own thing and be a leader. And I think that's the best way to put it because I don't like to do things the way people tell me to do things. I don't like to do stay in the box. I don't like to follow things that have been done as we've talked about this entire um, show. Um, yeah. I like to do things my way. And you can't do things your way when you work for other people and you work for other people. So I always knew if I want to be happy, I will always be miserable if I'm working for somebody else or if I'm not having somebody that gives me that space to be me. So I have to put into the world what I'm doing because I never feel fulfilled. I always feel like I'm giving 5% instead of giving 100%. So all the little things that added up, yeah, to, to this answer. Okay. No, that's a good one. Uh, are you happy with whatever you've done, whatever you have achieved? I'm proud of myself. And it took me a long time. And I've only just been saying this for like the past couple of weeks. 
Um, right. I think I, I worried a lot about talking about too much about not putting everything that I've done out there because I didn't want to look cocky. I didn't want to look smug. I didn't want people to think I'm better than them. But you know what? I realized I'm hard and I've worked hard in a small amount of time. I deserve to be proud and I deserve, and I realized that anybody can be proud of me, family, my friends. All right. It's been a pleasure to host you. We're going to ask you to, you know, have a question for our next question. I got my question as soon as you told me. My question's there. Thank you for that. Really appreciate it. 